Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue, your series by series check-in for Cubs news, updates, and banter. And oh my God, we have a lot of banter today. Uh, we are an official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, which is part of the SB Nation family of team sites. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Bleed Cubby Blue. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at Cup of Cubby Blue. My name is Sarah Sanchez, and I write about the Cubs at Bleed Cubby Blue. Hi, guys. I'm Andy Cruz Vanasek, and I am oh so happy for you, Darvish. Oh, my gosh. He finally got a W. Yay. <laughs> yeah, that was I'm really cool. Say, not going to say I was right, but I was right. <laughs> okay, wait. Hold on. But, like, if you call something six times in a row. Right. Eventually, you're going to be right. Time. Listen, a broken clock is still right twice a day, Okay. <laughs> I don't know. We might need to like talk about this word right and what it means. <laughs> <laughs> I know I wasn't actually right, but I'm going to take a little credit for being right this time. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to argue with you because I'm really excited for you, Darvish. So. <laughs> <laughs> you're excited for you or you're excited for you? <laughs> Are you excited for you? Oh my God. This is just going to be you. 40 minutes of you Darvish puns, everyone. So <laughs> buckle hence, in. Hence the banter. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, yeah, we're definitely going to talk about you, Darvish. He was absolutely great today. It is Wednesday after the Cubs have finally beaten the Reds. Uh, before we get into some game stuff, I, we have so much to talk about. This is going to be crazy. Uh, so we're going to try to fit it all in. I do want to point out that this is episode 23. And yes, I accidentally published episodes as 21 and 21 back to back because <laughs> I'm apparently that girl. So 23 and sorry for the double 21s, y'all. Um. Trades, interference calls, home run ball controversies at Wrigley Field, baseball, you Darvish. Andy, where do you want to start? You pick. Um, let's just go in the order that you said. All right. So um, trades. So Mike Montgomery is no longer a Chicago Cub. He's been traded for Martin Maldonado, who made his Cubs debut yesterday against the Reds. And, you know, he had a couple of nice defensive plays, but really didn't do a lot other than that. Uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting that came out on Twitter is we knew that Mike Montgomery had been asking for a trade for a couple of years now. He wants to start. He feels like he has value as a starting pitcher. And frankly, after seeing him fill in as the Cubs six starter for the last couple of years, I, I think that is accurate. Um, and his contract opportunities would be higher as a starter than as a long innings bullpen guy. But I was interested to hear that there was apparently a day uh, this year where he got sent home from the ballpark because people thought he was being unhelpful. And I, yikes. Yeah. I've heard a lot of things over the past couple of days that I'm really surprised about, about Mike Montgomery. Um, you know what though, the way that I look at this and it definitely does not make me feel any different about him because he's somebody that I will forever have it ingrained in my mind. What the back of, him pitching that last pitch in the 2016 World Series looks like it's totally. ingrained in my in my mind. I will never forget that. I will never look at him any different. But if you think about it, if you are a disgruntled worker and you're unhappy and you're clearly you feel like you are able to do more than what you're being asked to do and you feel like you're being taken for granted and you're not appreciated, you are not going to be happy in your workplace. You are not going to be a good team player, especially when it's gone on as long as it's gone on for him. It, it just, to me, I don't, I don't fault him 
yes, there was a better way to handle it, but I feel like he handled it really well for a really long time. And he was in a situation he didn't want to be in a situation. He felt like, um, he could have probably gotten out of a couple different times. So I get it. I understand why he was the way he was towards the end. Um, yeah, I mean, I heard some really surprising things about him, like things I would never, ever imagine. But, you know, when you're unhappy in your workplace and that's where you spend the majority of your time and that's who you're around a lot of your life and you're unhappy and you just don't want to be there, you know, that's that's what can change somebody. So I get it. And I've heard a couple interviews with him and he just sounds like the world has been lifted off his shoulders. Like he is just ready to go and be somebody else to somebody else. And for that, I cannot fault him. I cannot blame him. And I wish him all the best. Yeah. So two things. One, obviously, Mike Montgomery will always be the guy who was on the mound when the Cubs finally ended a 108-year championship drought. Always and forever soft spot in my heart for Mike Montgomery. But you're absolutely right. It's hard to be a productive person at work when you feel like you're not appreciated and when you feel like you could be doing a lot more. And it you know, it makes some of his drop off this year and performance make a lot of sense. And so I hope that now that he'll be getting a chance to start regularly for the Royals, who are incidentally the team that drafted him in the first round originally. So this is kind of like a come full circle type of moment for him. He should be able to be productive for that team. And I hope that he has a wonderful career and I'm thankful for everything he did for the Cubs. You know, that sixth starter role that he played in 2017 and again for a while in 2018 really was the difference between the Cubs getting into the postseason in both of those years. So best of luck to Mike Montgomery. Um, but it was still, I wish he would have gone out on a higher note. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I think that's what probably surprised me the most is that we don't know the stuff that happens behind closed doors. We don't know the locker room stuff. And a lot of times you almost prefer it that way, just because you don't want to look at these guys any differently. I don't care what you could have told me about Mike Montgomery. I mean, there are some things obviously that would be crossing the line, but if you're telling me that he had a bad week or a bad couple of weeks and he got sent home because he wasn't exactly being the nicest Mike Montgomery, you know what? I'm going to look past that. If it's other things, if it's something more serious, obviously that's a different issue altogether, but something like that, it's fine. We know that that's not who he is. Cumulatively, cumul- I can't say that word right now. Cumulatively. As a whole, thank you. <laughs> As a whole, that's not who he is. That's the situation he was put in. That was his reaction to it. So I get it. It's fine. You know, his interviews that he gave, the, the posts that he put on Twitter, you know, he is obviously very thankful for the time that he had here. We are all very thankful for him. It is a little bit of, um, I, I, you kind of feel like he took a little bit of your, your Cubs heart with him when he went. Um, which all of the guys that were on the 2016 team will, you know, in, in if that ever happens, at, you know, as they leave or as they do whatever they do in their careers. But it's time for him to move on. And it's time for us to to look at somebody that can be more classified as a lefty reliever and not somebody who we just kind of, you know, tried to fit a square peg in a round hole that just it wasn't working and we needed a new look and he needed a, a change of scenery. Yeah, I agree with that. Best of luck to Mike Montgomery. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Martin Maldonado, who will be a backup for Victor Caratini at the moment, since Wilson Contreras is on the injured list. And I'm dying, you all. I'm in my uh, Wilson Contreras shirt, and I'm like (laughs) wishing nothing but the best for my favorite player. 
A uh, couple of interesting things to note here. Maldonado is a plus defensive catcher, but while he has been an elite framer in the past, he has not been an elite framer this season. His his framing stats actually look a lot like both Victor Caratini and Wilson Contreras's. I posted a tweet about this when the trade came out from, uh, I think it was Scott Lindholm who has a really cool chart showing where um, the best framers are. And you can check that out on my Twitter account at BCB underscore Sarah. Um, or you can check that out on Scott's Twitter account. But you should check that out because it's a really great visualization of framing. He is one of the best at dealing with a pitching staff. And he had been the backup catcher for the Astros last year during their postseason run. So he's got some experience there. He's really good at dealing with pitchers. He had a couple of nice defensive plays in his debut. But the, the important thing here, well, is twofold. One is that the Cubs were apparently already in talks with Kansas City when they realized that Wilson was going to miss an extended amount of time, and that sort of accelerated the need to have a better backup than calling Taylor Davis up. And that's how this deal got done relatively quickly, which has led a lot of people to speculate as to whether they're trying to make a deal for Whit Merrifield. And it's also been rumored that, you know, with Maldonado on the squad, maybe Caratini becomes more movable. He is one of the best hitting catchers in baseball and a lot of teams would love to have him on their squad what do you think Andy oh what do I think I have so many things that I'm thinking about this um I am certainly very happy camper to have Maldonado on this team I think he brings a lot of underestimated pieces to this team um let's not forget he played for Milwaukee so he has some um familiarity with their pitching staff I don't know how much intel he can offer, but you know he would be willing to. He spoke some when he was interviewed, um, I believe today. I saw an interview where he spoke some about um, looking in at the Cubs dugout from the outside. He always kind of wished that he could play here. So you know that he's got that fire um, to be on this team, and he's really excited. He, I think, is going to be kind of like another Jason Hayward to like the pitching staff and and – and the other catchers because he is very he has that reputation for being a very good teammate and he he bonds very quickly with pitchers he is somebody that um is very very respected among catchers obviously because he is a plus defender but because he just brings a certain um intelligence to the the catching position and something that you know can't be taught but that he can definitely offer pointers and you know, bring in that veteran mind. Contreras is amazing. And he obviously is our starting catcher, but I think Maldonado will definitely help him in, in parts of his game that may not be the best. For example, the framing, I, I still think that he can use a little help there. And I think that's definitely going to be something that um, they're, they're, they will work together on. Another thing that I think this is going to be extremely helpful for is I I am somebody who voiced my opinion about this after it happened that I do feel like this is being um this is like the the first trade before all the other trades. I feel like Caratini is being shopped because he is of such great value. I don't think people understand how valuable he is. And teams would love to have somebody like him on their roster and what they would give up for him, I think people will be surprised. So my whole thought on that is we have a couple catchers that we feel quite highly about um, coming up in the minors. I don't know how quickly I, I don't 
have the research at my fingertips right this second, but you have to think that catchers like Contreras and Martin Maldonado are only going to help a young catcher trying to get to the bigs if, if that's the situation that they want to have them in. So, um, you know, I just think that there is a lot happening behind the scenes that we don't know about it. I mean, obviously we have two weeks to, to know what actually is going on, but I just don't think that this team, this roster is going to be, is set up to have three catchers to carry three catchers. So I really could see, um, Caratini being dealt, but that's just me. That's just my opinion. And that's the way I'm looking at it from the standpoint of them getting Maldonado here, you know, in the last day. Yeah, totally. Um, and Caratini has a lot of value right now. He's also, it's worth noting, he's overperforming at the moment. So his bat has really taken off this year. And while that could be something that he continues to develop and that could be something that he maintains, this would be a moment where if he's somebody you can see yourself parting with, you can get the most value for him right now. So I just want to bring this to your attention because I had this argument for all of like five seconds with somebody on Twitter. And I thought it was probably the most hilarious argument that I've had in a while. Oh no, Twitter argument, stop. (laughs) I know, right? It's just kind of funny. I mean, and I want to, I want to hear your reaction to it. This person, I, I, I don't know what gender, but this person wanted to argue with me about why Kyle Schwerber is not catching above, um, Caratini. Why why Schwarber and Caratini are not sharing time catching. Okay. Okay, that's exactly my reaction. Thank you. Okay. I mean, because Kyle Schwarber has a totally reconstructed knee and we would like him to be able to play for a long time. Well, and I think if he was ever going to be a major league catcher, that he would have seen time there at some point, and he has not. So let's put that to bed and go on with the fact that Kyle Schwarber is our left fielder. Moving on. Kyle Schwarber did see time at catcher in 2015, and he was supposed to be uh, the Cubs catcher when he was coming up through the minors. And he definitely, I know they were planning on him being the third catcher behind Miguel Montero and David Ross in 2016 before he got hurt. But ever since he's gotten hurt, I, I think he's had maybe an inning, maybe at like two innings behind the plate. And it's mostly, I would imagine, I, I, I don't know this, obviously, but from what I've read and what I've seen, it looks like he, um, it's because they, they want his knees to hold up and putting him back there with a totally reconstructed knee is not the best idea. It is one of the reasons that he has such a cannon for an arm, uh, which, you know, frankly, I think gets underestimated all the time, which is why he was tied for the lead in assists from left field across Major League Baseball last year. And I love watching him throw people out from the outfield. But one of the things that's interesting about that, actually, for me, is, you know, people forget that in 2015, 2016, and for the stretch run in 2017, the, the Cubs did carry three catchers. So in 2015, they had Schwarber, Ross, and Montero. In 2016, they had um, they started with Schwarber, Ross, and Montero, and then they had Wilson up with Ross and Montero. And then in 2017, they made deals for Rene Rivera and Alex Avila. So I I feel like there is a, Caratini does not have to be moved. <laughs> they will be perfectly happy to keep him there, let him share time with Rizzo at first base, put Wilson in the outfield sometimes and get everybody there at bats as long as they have two of the best hitting catchers in Major League Baseball. Yeah, and I don't I don't doubt that. I mean, there's always a method behind the madness. I just I don't know. There's something is telling me about this roster just the way that it's put together 
that um, obviously this has changed a little bit with Wilson going down now, but I just don't feel like they're going to carry three catchers. And I kind of took it. I was reading some quotes from Joe Madden and it, it, the way that he came off in his quotes, it almost made it seem like that was not what they were hoping the end result will be, but I don't know. I mean, I could be reading into it too much. Another thing I wanted to say about Schwarber is I did read at some point that they said he was um, after his injury, that he was not a major league caliber catcher, that he was not going to be able to, to catch at the major league level. He would be used in extreme circumstances. And that was simply because he had the arm, he had the bat, and that's what got him to that level. But as far as catching major league pitching, he just was not um, what they expected him to be when they put him in that spot. So there were other things behind that behind, besides the injury. But I imagine that if they were put in a, in a tough spot that he could go back there if he absolutely had to. Oh, for sure. Um, frankly, I think I've also read somewhere that Javi Baez could theoretically catch an inning or two in an emergency situation. But let's be very clear. If Javi Baez is catching, something has gone terribly wrong. If Schwarber is catching, something has gone terribly wrong. So, I was gonna say, is there a position that Javi Baez can't play? <laughs> I would kind of love if the Cubs ever had, you know, a big enough lead in the division and it was sort of late and there was zero risk of injury. So, like, obviously this is never going to happen. I would kind of love to see Javi Baez play every position in a game. That would be amazing. <laughs> I, that would be amazing. I, I, could, I would bet I would put money on the fact that he could do it and do it well. I kind of wonder what he'd look like pitching and I would not want him to like risk injuring himself on it, but I, I'm relatively certain he can do everything else. Can we put him in bubble wrap and put him on the mound? That would be fine with me. Like give him a <laughs> disclaimer that he's not allowed to actually throw over what you like. He's soft tossing, right? Right. That's right. Um, so yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I was just coughing. Sorry. No, you're totally good. Um, at this rate, we're going to talk all baseball in the second half of the show, but let's cover one more, a couple more of these uh, little subtopics before we do that. Um, so there was this home run ball controversy at Wrigley Field in game three of, or game two of the Cubs Red Series. And I want to talk about this separately from the game itself. If you didn't watch the game, Kyle Schwarber hit a walk-off home run. And we will talk about that in detail when we talk about game two of the Red Series because the Cubs finally beat the Reds in a series and it was great. Um, but there's some controversy here because a fan caught the ball and basically, depending on your point of view, I guess, had his glove in front of the gloves of two smaller people, two small children, and it's blowing up. Andy, what is your thought on home run balls, the bleachers, and children? Well... First of all, there is no controversy as far as I'm concerned. It, this is this is kind of silly to me. Listen, I'm just as much of a kid as anybody when it comes to baseball games. I totally fangirl out. I get weak in the knees. I get nervous, like sweaty palms. If I feel like I'm like getting real low, and, like I could actually make eye contact with a player or, you know, have a ball <laughs> thrown at me. Like I seriously, I am a 40s. 40, I said it, 40 year old woman. And I still get that way for, for baseball games. I mean, there is no such thing as being an adult at a baseball game. It is a game for the love of God. So who cares? I mean, these kids will, I'm sure have gotten, I know, you know, I've read in a couple different places, they got a ton of batting practice balls. They, you know, got treated basically just like anybody else in, in the bleachers. It is a home run ball. I mean, Home run balls are like, that's what, 
that's what everybody is there for. Like everybody, you know, you wait like your whole life for a moment like that. Like, I, I don't know. There's no controversy to me. I have three. I don't, they're not small anymore. They're almost the same height as me, but I have three Aww. children, um, 11, 10 and six. Okay. If my girls were at a game and they were going after a ball, which this has happened, um, in St. Louis a couple times and they didn't get the ball and somebody else went after the ball and that somebody else happens to be an adult. I don't even make a big deal about it. It's not a big deal to me. It really isn't. It's not a big deal to my kids either because they feed off of me. So it, to me, it just, it, there's no controversy. Let him have his ball. You know, this particular fan has been going to these games for years upon years upon years. Do you think that he catches walk-off home runs from Kyle Schwarber every day? Do you think a person that does that reacts that way? No. He's probably waited a very long time to catch a ball like that. So there is no controversy. Those kids are fine. They're going to be okay. They're going to wake up tomorrow and be able to tell a really cool story and game over. I mean, who cares? It, it you know, it just, it, to me, it's just ridiculous that he is taking as much heat as he is. It, it's oh stupid. my gosh. I'm so glad to hear you say this because I have felt all day, like I have been living in the twilight zone for a couple of reasons. So one thing, and I, I, I'll just be very transparent. Um, I know the fan in question, he's not like a best friend or anything, but he hangs out with some of the bleacher people that I know. And I've met him. We actually were chatting a little bit on Monday when I was in the bleachers and he's a really nice guy. And I like, he like hangs out there. He gives a ton of balls to kids apparently um, in batting practice and everything else. I usually sit in a slightly different area, so I can't say that I have ever seen that, but I have no reason to doubt the accounts of people who say that that's true. And I, I also am sort of like a kid at a baseball game, you know? And I don't think that, like, look, I don't personally run after foul balls. I don't bring a glove to the park. I don't want to get in the scrum and, like, risk falling down the bleachers because <laughs> I'm trying to, like, dive after a ball or anything like that. I, I get kind of nervous about that type of stuff. But I, um, you know, if a ball landed in my lap, I would be like a five-year-old again. I would totally be the most excited person ever. I've been watching games for 32 years. It's never happened. Uh, and so the, and, and in fact, a couple of years ago, a friend of mine came and sat in the bleachers for the first time and within like five minutes of batting practice had a ball that he, you know, totally ran after and dove for and the whole likes of it. And he was grinning like he was 10 years old right? Like he, it's the first ball he's ever gotten at a baseball game and he was thrilled. And I don't think that he knocked anybody over for it. I don't think that there were any kids in the area or anything like that. But I also think that this idea that somewhere along the lines, it became a code that anytime you have a ball, they all must go to kids no matter what. I don't think that's true. Like, I don't know where the rule is or like what the rule is or what the line is and what qualify. like I, I've seen a couple of people on Twitter try to like delineate this. They're like, if you're under 12 or if you're over 14 or whatever. And I'm like, what? Is that really a thing that like we as a society have come to the conclusion that you are only a good person if you give every single ball <laughs> to some person who is under the appear appeared age of X? That's kind of wild to me. But the other thing is, you know, the camera did, didn't catch all the great things that Chris, and I'm going to say his name because it's in the Chicago Tribune and it's on Deadspin and a bunch of other places right now. They don't catch all the good things that he does. They caught two seconds of something that people think is questionable. And it's like there's a social media mob out there 
it sitting in judgment of this person. And I think that that's a really terrible impulse in our society to like judge, even like, let's assume you think it's a bad look and you think he should have given the ball away and he shouldn't have gone after it and whatever. Let's assume the absolute worst. Are we really okay being a society that judges somebody's character based on the worst two seconds that got caught on a camera? I'm not. I think that's kind of, I I think that's not a really good standard. Well, and I don't even think that's, it's, you could say that it's the worst. I think people are, there's like such a, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Such a, um, pressure among people to, to, you know, like people say, you know, you're a good person if you do this. And so people start to follow that and that's important and that people think that's a big deal and da, 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 and da, da, da. So, you know, it's just like peer pressure. That's the, the pressure. That's what I'm getting at. Peer pressure of people saying that. So all of a sudden one person says it. So then, you know, they get five more people to say it and they get five more people to say it. And I don't th- even think that was a bad thing. Like, obviously that ball meant a lot to him. You saw his reaction, you know, he's, yes, he's a grown man, but who cares? He's at a baseball game. It is a game. You people are missing the whole point here. We're there to have fun, just like the kids, you know? I mean, right. it, it, to me, people are just missing the whole point of the whole thing. And I get that some people say, give it to the kids, give it to the kids. I get that. But you know what? There are some kids that will never have somebody hand them a ball. I never, all the baseball games I went to, I never had somebody hand me the ball. I Same. carried my gloves. I dressed head to toe in Cubs. And I never had anybody hand me a ball. And look at me. I turned out just fine. Well, that's debatable. But for the most part. <laughs> I think you turned I'm out okay. just fine. Yeah, thank you. For the most part, it's okay. It's fine. It's not a big deal. Like, I don't make it a big deal to my kids. I don't make it a big deal to anybody else. I was at a game. I don't even remember who the Cardinals were playing. They were playing somebody, not the Cubs. Um, but we, w- we w- went on Easter, my family and I to the baseball game and the, the girls wanted ice cream. So my husband took them and got ice cream. And I went to the outfield for betting practice. I wanted to sit, it, they were playing the Mets. I wanted to sit out there and watch betting practice and see where, you know, where these guys were hitting it to. So I was in right center. I probably had three balls hit within like feet of me. And there's kids all over the place going after balls. I didn't even move. I could have, I probably could have had all three of them. As a matter of fact, I did get one that clanked right next to me. Um, nobody even realized it was there. I picked it up and I saw there was a little boy standing there and he had this face on and you just knew <laughs> he was probably not getting a ball because he was very little. And I had three daughters there with me, but I knew that ball meant more to that little boy than it would mean to any of my daughters. They love baseball. They know that their love mom, their mom loves baseball, but they don't love it. Like I could tell this little boy loved it. And I handed him the ball. It's like here. And his dad was like shocked. <laughs> Oh, that's so sweet. But it was, it was just, it was an impulse, you know, it was just one of those things that was like, this ball would mean more to him than it would mean to me. Obviously that home run ball meant more to that gentleman than, you know, he thought it would mean to those kids. Well, and so this, I think this is the important thing. Like you're telling a story about giving a ball away and that's awesome that you did that. And it's highly possible that if I ever was in that situation, I might do that too. But I think that that's a decision people get to make. Do you know what I mean? Like, you choose, you get the ball, you choose, oh, I want to give it to this kid. I want to keep it for my own kid. I Like, I don't know. That's a decision people get to make. And I, I don't like the idea that we live in a society where you're like automatically judged for not doing the thing that people thought you should do in a two second clip. I think that that's a really terrible impulse and we should shy away from that. 
Oh, for sure. It's definitely up to whoever catches the ball. Like I said, if, if I was in a similar situation as this gentleman was, and I was the adult that grabbed the ball, I will tell you right now that that ball would mean more to me than it would ever mean to those children. It would. I've, I've been through how many years of being a Cubs fan and to be in a situation like that and be able to grab a ball like that. Yes. A hundred percent. I, in my mind would feel like that ball would mean more to me than them. I would keep that ball a hundred percent. There's no doubt in my mind. And I, I wouldn't care the backlash on that quite honestly. And I think it's totally unfair. And I think people are missing the point of what we're talking about here. This is a baseball game. He's allowed to act like a kid at a game. He's allowed to do that. However you want to act when you go to a baseball game, as long as you're not hurting anybody or breaking any rules, who cares? Who cares? Who is he hurting? He's not hurting anybody. Those kids are going to be just fine. I think that is a really great place to take a break. And we will get to both the Red Series and the upcoming Padres Series after a quick word from our sponsors. And we're back. Uh, so now that we've gotten all of the non-baseball stuff, I guess it's all base. This is all baseball adjacent. It's just not the actual games. Uh, we can talk about the games themselves. Andy, we finally beat the Reds. This was great. Well, not only did we beat them, we beat them twice and we won a series against them. So take that. Yeah, that was really fun. And I was super excited about it. Even beyond you, Darvish getting his first W at Wrigley. Uh, that was incredible. The first game, not so incredible. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, <sighs> I don't understand what it is about this team that we cannot figure out. <laughs> yeah, I don't really understand what it is either, to be quite honest. Um, this was a the bullpen cannot do the bullpen thing type of thing. And frankly, like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I want to feel confident in all parts of the Cubs ability to win baseball games and just late innings. I have no confidence and it's not just the Reds. I feel like, you know, we get to that seventh, eighth inning. There's just not a guarantee that the Cubs are going to be able to lock it down. And it just makes me so nervous. Uh, yeah. And that even, gosh, I don't know if that feeling has ever gone away with me, but yeah, there is definitely like more, more tenseness in the end, end innings. Like after the seventh inning, I, I just kind of feel like we've seen it enough already this season where it just feels all too familiar every game. Like, Oh my gosh, at any given moment, if the other team gets one runner on or two runners on, this lead is gone. Like, forget it. This game is tied again or something, you know? It just it just feels uh, like every time I just kind of condition myself to think, you know, this whoever the starter is, this game is probably not getting a decision because we're probably going to blow a lead late in the game. I mean, there are leads that feel safe. Like, I feel like when, you know, when they score seven runs in the first inning, I'm like, yes. That lead is safe. <laughs> We're good with that one. But when it's like a one-run game in the seventh or eighth inning, I don't I'm, – I'm not going to lie. I don't feel great. And I, that's exactly what happened on Monday. They were winning three to one, and then it was three to two. And then before you know it, seventh inning comes, and it's gone. And in this instance, it happened to be C-Sheck. Uh, Strope was actually good in this game and didn't 
it was it was definitely a sea shack special but like i oh my kingdom for confidence in the bullpen well and i don't even know this game i'm not a hundred percent i don't feel real confident on putting this on um on the bullpen either i mean our defense was it was not good that's Um, very true and I tweeted this, but you know, I had coaches that used to tell me this all the time and it never really made sense to me. I mean, I I get it now, obviously as an adult, but this is a great example of how defense can win you games, but it can also lose you games too, because there was a couple guys on base that should not have been on base. We gave, we had the opportunity to turn three double plays in one inning and turned none. So, you know, things like that. I mean, you just, you cannot, and not even, you know, a team like the Reds, would you say something like this, but you can't have errors like that and expect to come out on top. Yeah, that is totally correct. I mean, there was also, I think there was a pop-up that went between Rizzo and Caratini that really should have been caught. There were a bunch of ways for the Cubs to get themselves uh, out of these late innings and stay in the game. And it just didn't happen. And that was super disappointing. So the Cubs wound up losing that game. It was not pretty. It wound up, it was six to three. Um, I don't want to talk about that game anymore. How about you? <laughs> nope. Let's move on. <laughs> Sick. So <laughs> now on to game two of this series. This game was actually, okay. So I got to go to this game, which was super fun, except there was this guy be- directly behind me at Wrigley Field who was a super obnoxious Reds fan. And the Reds were winning this game three, nothing. And then three, two for like the first half of the game. And so he kept trash talking everything. And I just have never in my life, oh my God, it was so annoying. And I, I was like, I really just want the Cubs to shut up this obnoxious Reds fan because all he does is talk trash and he's right behind me. And so I'm going to fast forward to the end for a second to Schwarber's walk-off because, you know, uh, Schwarber was kind of like going in and out of the box, taking time out or whatever before he hit the home run. And this guy behind me was getting upset about it. And the pitch before the home run, he's like, get back in the box. And then Schwarber did and hit a home run. And I turned around and <laughs> was like, he got back in the box. <laughs> I really thought this guy was going to like punch me or something. I, he was he was pretty upset. Well, for one, why is he talking out loud smack at Wrigley Field in Chicago, like wearing Cincinnati and being a Cincinnati fan? Like that to me just shouts how dumb he is. Thank you. Thank you. Like, Like, it's not like you're the Dodgers or something and you've, like, had a really great record against the Cubs for multiple years. You're literally the last place team in the division for multiple years in a row. You know what? And I'll say this, and it's fine. I totally, I, I get it, and I'm admitting it. It's obviously numbers are numbers. Yeah, the Reds have owned us this year. They have owned us. What, they're seven and five against us? That's, yes. We can't, we could not figure out how to beat the Reds up into this series. But here's the thing that has not translated into squat for them. They're still in last place. What has that gotten them? Like, congratulations, you have a winning record against the first place team. We're still in first place. You're still in last place. So I don't understand where the logic is that you still, like, you know, I had a Reds fan on Twitter tell me to not be cocky. I'm like, there's nothing cocky about what I'm saying. It's all facts. (laughs) We're still in first. You're still in last. Like, how does this translate into anything good for you guys other than the fact you have a winning record against a first place team? Like, congratulations. I, I don't know what you get for that. Like, <laughs> there's absolutely you no, know, 
yeah. So it, to me, it's fine. This is like their world series or their, you know, whatever it is. That's fine. You can have that. That's perfectly fine. We'll go on to, to play Cubs baseball and, and hopefully win the division. You guys will still be in last. <laughs> Uh, no, you're you're absolutely right. I have, I have no argument about any of that. Other interesting things about this game, all of the runs were scored on home runs, including another one by Robel Garcia. And like, I, I'm liking Robel Garcia's bat a lot. Um, I, I love this kid, man. I love this kid. Um, one thing I want to point out too, before we get too lost in the other um, exciting games is in this series, the, our pitching staff walked a total of four people. Uh, do it and again. Higher <laughs> series, four walks. Game three today, zero walks. Game two, two walks. Game one, two walks. That's it. it. That's it. Love it. Yeah. That's going to be a huge stat. I think that's going to be a huge stat. If we go back and compare that to previous years where we've had issues with walks, even the first half of the season where we, we've had issues with walks, I think that's going to be kind of a huge stat. We'll see. Yeah, but I, totally I really like that. that stat. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, they were limiting walks against the Pirates too, which was a huge part of sweeping the Pirates. So keep limiting the walks. Good stuff. One thing they did not limit in this series was hit batsmen. And this wasn't like the way the pirates hit batters <laughs> and like, cause they're throwing inside on purpose and they hit a lot of batters. This was like all accidental. So it's weird that they didn't have that many walks, but there also were control issues. I was one of the interesting notes from game two for me, Alec Mills got that start and his line actually outside of the first inning looked pretty good, except for the fact that he hit four guys. <laughs> And it's sort of like, eh, let's not put people on with that free pass either. Yeah. And we're, didn't he hit um, Derek? Uh, what's his name? Dietrich. Dietrich. Yeah. yeah. Didn't he hit him twice? Probably. Derek Dietrich is like the Reds' Anthony Rizzo, except Dietrich actually leans in two pitches. Like, he trains to, like, get hit by pitches like 100 percent. yeah like you can tell that he practices how to do it so he doesn't actually get hurt but here's the thing you know sometimes that comes back to bite you and you get hurt I was just gonna say today. yeah yep when you don't train yourself to get out of the way of those balls your body does not react to get out of the way of balls that are going to do damage which is exactly what happened today against Darvish and you know that was not obviously an intentional you know, hit batsman. No way. That was just a ball that turned a little bit too much and, and just hit him on the shin. And I'll tell you what, I would not want to be hit by that because that looked painful. And he, he did end up coming out of the game, but I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry. And you know, people might hate me for this, but I didn't really feel bad for him because when you, you know, like I said, when you're training yourself to take that, that's your way of getting on base. Fine. But just remember in situations where you need to get out of the way, your body is not going to react the same because you've trained it to stay there. So just saying, a lot of people would have got out of the way of that ball. He did not. Well, speaking of getting out of the way of things, the the play with Dietrich that probably aggravated me the most in the entire series was this interference play where Rizzo got called out. And it's look, I get the interference rule. I understand that the runner has to try to avoid the player making the play. Like that is obviously a good rule. There should not be intentional contact to keep people from making plays defensively while you're running the bases. However, 
that really looked to me like Dietrich wasn't making a play on the ball. He was trying to get contact from Rizzo because he knew he couldn't make the play on the ball. Yeah, a hundred percent. And if you've seen, if you've seen a similar play where the second baseman is actually making an attempt at the ball, it looks much different than how it did in that play. And I mean, you can tell that he kind of paused and I'm sorry, but being a second base myself, if I'm going after the ball, I'm already getting low to to put my glove on the ground to to scoop up the ball. He was nowhere near that. He was put had his arms out ready to take a hit. So as far as I'm concerned, like I get it. It's you know I I get how he plays the game. So I understand that that's the play that he he made, and that's you know he got an out for his team, and and Robel had to go back to first. That's it is what it is. But it, it to me that just seems kind of cheap, and like it wasn't. It wasn't an actual baseball play. I get why they had to call it the way that they did. They didn't really have another choice. But I also would like some explanation on what they expected Rizzo to do in that situation. Because there was no way to not make contact with Dietrich, especially when he had it in his mind that he was going to make contact. So I just, I would like some, you know, yes, there's rules, but I would like to know what he was supposed to do to avoid that. I totally agree with that. And I think that in this instance, and you know what, I, I I don't know Dietrich that as a player that well, I only see him when he plays the Cubs or when I'm watching the Reds for some other reason, usually because they're playing a division rival and it's a game of interest, but I, it's hard to have a lot of faith that he wasn't trying to make deliberate contact with Rizzo, given the way that he makes deliberate contact to get hit by pitches so often. It really I don't know. It seemed very obvious to me that he initiated interference in order to cover for the fact that he wasn't going to be able to make the play on the ball. And there's got to be some way to deal with that. It's also not something I've seen very often. I think this is the first time that I've seen a play like that with interference called and felt like it was the fault. It was the fault of the fielder that the fielder had done something on that play that caused the interference, not the runner or the path of the ball. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I I 100% believe that he intentionally made contact with Rizzo rather than even playing the ball. Um, And I think had he just gone for the ball and played the ball, he probably still would have made contact and we wouldn't even be talking about this. But I mean, in my mind, I know what it looks like to, to try and make a legitimate play on that ball. And he was not doing that. So it's just, it's a little frustrating when you have players like that, but you know, it, it also, Again, you know, he's somebody that you hate to play against, but you wouldn't mind having him on the team because sometimes spots like that, it's it's not the it's not the dumbest play. You know, it, it is. He did think about it. He did know what he was doing. It's just to me, it seems kind of cheap. Totally agree. Um, I think that that pretty much covers most of what happened in game two. Kimbrel got a save in this game. He threw twenty five pitches, which I thought was interesting considering that he also threw again, to get a save on Wednesday. Um, And Wednesday's game was also a lot of fun and a Cubs victory. What did you think on what about Wednesday's game, Andy? Well, it's hard to believe that today is Wednesday. Like it is. This game was today. (laughs) It's Um, been a really busy three days of Cubs news, people. It really has. It really has. Um, You know, I was thoroughly impressed with Darvish from A to Z, from the fact that he didn't walk anybody to his emotion on the mound 
he basically knew he was coming out of the game. He threw his final pitch, and you saw him do not one but two fist pumps, and he was excited. He really the final felt, pitch was ninety eight. That's insane. That is insane. I mean, he was he was throwing some some fire, and you know what? This dude, I don't. I want the haters a year ago to eat crow. I want them to salt and pepper it up and eat that because he is exactly what we need him to be right now. He is pitching like an ace. He is dominant. I mean, he is, he is an amazing teammate, which I think to him probably means a whole lot more than we imagine it does, because I think there was a lot of disconnect with him when he first came to this team I, there's just so many things about this right now that make me so excited for where he could take this team. And honestly, if he keeps pitching like this, he is the ace of this team. I mean, he, he honestly, he is so dominant. It's just, it's really, it's, it's a good problem to have, to have so many people on your team and have, feel like, you know, have to wonder which one is our ace, which one is legitimately our ace today. He looked like an ace. I mean, I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself on the U Darvish ace stuff since I'm pretty sure I said he was the number five starter in this team last episode. Uh, um, but I well, I did say, not say that, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this could be like an ongoing thing, like where is Darvish in the starting rotation? But I will say, I agree that he looked really good today. I mean, he had a no-hitter going into the fifth inning. Uh, he struck out a bunch of guys. I think he struck out seven in six innings. He was really just keeping the Reds completely off the base paths and throwing some great quality pitches. I think that it's good that Joe Madden has seemed to figure out that when you let's loose on that last pitch and starts like throwing in the upper 90s, that does not mean you send him out for another inning. That means that he's done. <laughs> and Madden, to his credit, uh, took care of that today. I, I also think Darvish struck out Queeg three times, which <laughs> I am here for Darvish striking out Puig. That's good stuff. Uh, Puig had a lot of strikeouts in this series, and it was awesome to see the Cubs beat the Reds. That was great stuff. Yeah, I think um, one of the at-bats, it was a full count. There's two outs. I want to say that there was a runner or two on base, and Puig was battling. He had like three or four uh, foul balls off of Darvish, and I think the final pitch Darvish just blew it by him at like 98 miles an hour. And I was like, wow, <laughs> wow. What you got, what you got on that Puig? That was, it was, wow. It yeah. was not stupid. I'll just say that. Yeah. And Darvish has a great sense of humor too. If you don't follow his Twitter account, you absolutely should. He's making some jokes. I think my favorite was they asked him what he was going to do with the ball. Cause they gave him the ball since it's his first win at Wrigley. He's like, I don't know. Maybe I'll give it to my wife. And they were like, maybe. And he's like, well, she doesn't want it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. I saw that and I was laughing out loud. He's he is so great. I love to see his personality now too. Totally. Uh so the Cubs have won five of six games at home. They have an off day on Thursday when this episode will drop. And then the Padres come to town on Friday for what is going to be a really hot weekend of Chicago Cubs baseball. They're saying that the heat index for the afternoon game on Friday is looking like it's going to be 110 degrees at Wrigley Field. And I, this is a red hot Cubs team, but I get nervous when players are playing in 110 degree heat index. 
I mean, that's, that's, it's just dangerous. I mean, you shouldn't even be outside, let alone playing a sport. And like my husband, it's, it's um, always a wonder to him how the, some of these guys can wear long sleeves and everything else. But, you know, I remember playing in the dead of summer and it was, it's kind of one of those things where your body adjusts. Now that's not to say it's any less dangerous, but um, you know, I just, uh, these guys, you know, I, I get nervous for these guys going on the field and it's that hot and exerting their self. And I just, I hope that Joe has a plan of some sort and um, you know, that, that maybe he rotates in some guys or something in the middle of the game. I don't know. It just, it's really scary. That is very hot. And you, you don't like to see anybody go down because of heat exhaustion, but it has happened. And this is, you know, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. So we need to come out in a very winnable series at that. So we need to come out and, and play good baseball. And we can't do that if we're all passed out in the dugout. <laughs> well, one of the things that a frequent commenter on BCB, Mike JW, mentioned is that it seems sort of bizarre that the Cubs can't push this game back or at least request permission from the city of Chicago to push this back to an evening game rather than a day game to avoid some of the worst heat. And I I know that there's a limit to the number of night games that can be played at Wrigley Field. I know that that was negotiated with the residents in order to, you know, keep traffic out of the neighborhood as much as possible at night. But it seems like for something like this, where it's very literally dangerous level heat wave coming through, they could push the start of the game back to say four o'clock and probably save everybody a lot of grief on this thing. Is there something I'm missing for why you can't do that? No, I think that does just have to do with it. The ordinance in the neighborhood, as far as how many night games they have, I think that, um, you know, the, the front office hasn't really made very many friends in that neighborhood and they're probably not likely to, to help out in any situation, regardless of what it entails. I just think at some point, somebody's got to step in and just say, look, there is way too much at risk here. <laughs> we got to, we got to do something. We got to be able to help these guys however, however we can. And, you know, playing the game when there's no daylight is obviously would obviously help. You know, I mean, it just, it, it, it's going to be extremely dangerous for everybody, including people watching the game. I mean, it's just, that's just way too hot to be outside. Totally agree. Mayor Lightfoot, Alderman Tunney, if you listen to Cup of Cubby Blue, get it done. Push, let the Cubs push the game back a little bit so that the players can all be safe. I, I am relatively certain that neither of them listens to Cup of Cubby Blue. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Padres are coming in. This is a really interesting team. The probable pitching matchups for the series will have Eric Lauer facing John Lester on Friday. That is John Lester's bobblehead day, by the way, and I love it when a pitcher pitches on their bobblehead day. I just feel like good things come to them. Lester is such a gamer that I think this will work out well. Joey Lucchese will go up against Jose Quintana on Saturday. And then Cal Quintrell, oh, I'm I'm not going to be able to say this name, Cal Quintrell and Kyle Hendricks. Uh, we'll throw down on Sunday. Is there anything interesting in these pitching matchups aside from bobblehead magic that you see, Andy? (laughs) Bobblehead magic. I love it. Um, No, I really like who we're, we're running out there this series. I mean, these guys have all been just, you know, obviously very steady the past couple starts, all three of them. And um, I look for more of the same, you know, Hendricks, was a little bit um, out of character. His last start gave up more than he usually does. So I look for him to come back very, very 
um, strong and consistent. And, you know, Quintana has had three now quality starts. Um, he's been really good. So it'll be, it'll be a very interesting series for us. You know, Lester's obviously always coming out fired up and ready to go. And especially on bobblehead day, you, you wouldn't expect anything less. So, yeah, I mean, this is, I don't know much about the pitchers we're facing. I mean, the numbers like um, Eric Lauer looks very comparable to John Lester as far as um, ERA is concerned. A uh, few less strikeouts. He's got, um, I'm not seeing his innings pitched, but he doesn't have, I mean, he's got a five and seven record, a lefty also. So, I mean, it, it'll be an interesting matchup. We'll see um, who Joe runs out there. Cause that's, that's always interesting as well. Um, you know, Saturday, say Joey's last name for me, Lucchese. 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 I was close. Um, I do. I only know that because we talk about him on my fantasy podcast sometimes. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) I was like, this is going to be fun. Um, 96 strikeouts. So obviously, you know, he can, he can strike some people out and he's going up against Quintana. So that'll be interesting to see as well, especially because, you know, if, if we get a little antsy, we tend to swing it, swing at a lot of balls and miss. So we'll watch that those numbers on Saturday. I can't believe all three of these games are day games. This is insane to me. Like these people are going to, are going to burst into flames. I mean, come on. Um, yeah. And then Sunday is another, you know, this Cal Contrell guy, he's, um, 39 strikeouts. It looks like he probably has not been pitching all season two and two record up against Kyle Hendricks. So, um, you know, any with you know just the eye test looking at this, you would seem to think that we have the upper hand for these matchups. I mean, they, they don't have a winning record, but they've you know they're an interesting team. They play really well in some streaks, and and you know, and then look like a team that's forty five and forty nine. So it'll be really, really interesting to see the matchup against the Cubs. And um, you know, I'm I always love to see Manny Machado, so it'll be nice to see him um, at Wrigley. Yeah, I, I'm excited for this series. I hope we can pull another win out. Um, I don't expect us to sweep. That's always nice. But, you know, even just taking two out of three would be good with me. Uh, I am also a huge Manny Machado fan. This is a pro Manny Machado zone. This podcast is Manny Machado friendly. Uh, the, you know, the Padres are a really good young team. And like you were saying, they don't have a winning record this year, but they're definitely going to put one together in the near future. They've got a lot of interesting players. They have some players who have been having some really impressive seasons this year. Perhaps my favorite non-Manny Machado Padre is this kid, uh, Tatis, who missed some time with an injury. So if you are just like scrolling through some fan graph stuff and you don't tweak the innings totals, he won't show up on qualified player lists. But he's slashing 333, 399, 604 with a WRC plus of 159 across 253 plate appearances. I actually think this was the snub of the All-Star game. He has a real special glove and and a super hot bat. He's a flashy player, not quite Javi Baez, but really, who is Javi Baez? Um, and Tatis is super fun to watch. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on him. Look for shortstop to have some serious web gems this weekend. Well... You know, if he wasn't the son of the Fernando Tatis, I would have been <laughs> angry about the comps to, to Javi Baez. But because he is the son of him, I will let it go. There is no comparison. This kid is, he's going to be good, but you cannot, he's not been in the league long enough to even mention his name in the same sentence with Javi Baez. But this kid is special and he is fun to watch. And um, I, he is, he's definitely, you're going to want to watch. You're going to want to remember that name, write it down. If you don't remember his dad, remember him because 
tell you what, these uh, these Dominican kids, they are no joke. And this one is is just the same. I mean, he's he's fun. And I, I can't wait to see him at Wrigley. And, and, you know, a lot of baseball people will really appreciate watching him play. You know, that's funny that you're talking about Tatis and Javi in the same sentence because this reminds me, and this is kind of an aside, but a word for the wise if you are a social media type this weekend. Um, Padres Twitter does not mess around. They are serious and they are out there and they will post a lot all the time. And a couple of years ago, I wound up in a little bit of a tit for tat with Padres Twitter because somebody asked what they thought they would have to trade to get Javi Baez. And I jumped in and responded that there was nothing in the Padres farm system that was worth Javi Baez. And and they have a really good farm system, probably one of the best in baseball. And they did then as well, including uh, Tatis Jr. And oh my God, my mentions were dead for like two weeks with Padres fans who would not let me forget that I said that they had nothing in their farm system worth Javi Baez. So just letting y'all know, this is a serious social media crowd we are throwing down with this weekend on Twitter. So, so tiptoe through this weekend series gracefully when you're on Twitter is what she's trying to say. Or just know what you're getting yourself into. Like Padres Twitter does not mess around. So if you, if you throw down, be prepared. Right. And I don't know how much back you're going to have either. So no, I was going to say, we might all be back still fighting the, the Reds fans. So yeah, seriously, this could, this could be a dangerous weekend on social media. Um, a <laughs> couple of other players to keep an eye on beyond Tatis and Manny Machado, Hunter Renfro and Fran Mel Reyes are both having really good seasons. Um, and just a note uh, that's not a Padres note, but this just came across my social media. So I wanted to get Andy's reaction to it. It sounds like Justin Grimm has been picked up on a minor league contract by the Reds. So he had been a Dodger and now he is a Red. So he is back in the division. Uh, We will always remember Justin Grimm and his contributions to 2016 fondly. Yeah. And hopefully he can help us out again when he comes up to the majors for (laughs) the Reds. Um, I would like to see some Justin Grimm 2019 (laughs) World Series contributions as a member of the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, yes. I hope they don't think that, yeah, I hope they don't think he's going to be effective against, you know, pushing them to a first place finish in the division. I, you know, I, the one thing I miss about Justin Grimm, and this is so ridiculous, but these are just the types of things you do over a long season. So whenever Grimm would come out, I would like go to YouTube if I could and play the song, the Grimm Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult, uh, Don't Fear the Reaper, because I had this theory that he was only an effective pitcher for as long as the song was playing. And so if he couldn't (laughs) get out of the inning... Before the end of the song. Oh my goodness, Sarah. We were, we were all this, it was done. Like, I, I, I was mostly right about this. Justin Grimm was only effective for the length of the song. You are special beyond words. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I think that it's time that we close this edition of Cup of Cubby Blue Down. As always, you can find us on Twitter at, at Cup of Cubby Blue. Let us know what you're thinking about these trades as we approach the trade deadline. Let us know what you're thinking as the Padres come to Wrigley for a super hot weekend in Chicago. And we look forward to chatting with you again early next week. Bye.